Fulhamish is back for the season by Labrooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. We are your independent voice of Fulham FC. Thank you for downloading uh, the show today. It's just me, just me on my own in the studio, but we've got loads coming up for you. Don't fret. Uh, We're going to be previewing Tuesday's Brighton game. I'm going to be speaking to AD from Albion Raw and it's another edition of the Stat Show. Uh, with Ben, Nick and George answering your big questions all using stats and analysis which is a bit of a hot topic I guess for Fulham fans at the moment and a bit of a stick to beat the club with and uh, the debate over stats versus uh, transfer nous but when it comes to these stats George, Nick and Ben do know what they're talking about and they've uh, got big questions such as how does our team in comparing stats between the one that got relegated in 13-14. Loads of good stuff there. They're answering your questions, so do stick around for that. So we're going to be speaking to AD in just a moment. Did anyone else quite enjoy a weekend without football? I certainly did. Just feel like it's been heartbreak after heartbreak at the moment. And uh, the Spurs one was particularly tough to take in the final minute. And Burnley was also pretty depressing as well. And before that, it was Oldham. It's been a pretty tough month to be a Fulham fan. So just to have a weekend off and watch the FA Cup in the background, but not get too invested in it. Personally, I felt like I needed it. I don't know if anyone else is like that, but I'm quite glad that there is a midweek game coming around so soon that we can get our teeth into. I think staying in this league is, well, it's looking more and more difficult as every game goes along. And I just really think that there's too much ground to cover when you look at Fulham's home games coming up, especially uh, against pretty much all of the top six and that March Uh, which has all been moved for TV as well, just to make the pain even more visible to everyone where we face Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea in a month. It just really feels like the final final nail is already in that coffin. But if there's a chance of Fulham working their way up the table, it has to start on Tuesday against Brighton. I feel like if you lose that, then any lingering hope, any small little light at the end of the tunnel is pretty much blocked off because our fixtures are just so, so difficult over the next couple of months. But it's going to be a tricky one. Brighton are well organised under Chris Hewton. Uh, They're capable of getting a a good result and they've actually been quite impressive in their uh, recent defeats despite... uh, you know, losing. They played Man United and Liverpool and ran them close in both games. And uh, I'm sure AD will agree when we chat to him later on. Uh, and they have the knack of picking up a, a good result. And especially if they get their noses in front, then they're hard to break down. I think the one thing that we can hope for, though, is Brighton's away form traditionally is not that great. They get most of their points at the Amex and on the road, they're not brilliant. But they do have a good record at Craven Cottage. There was that game that we played. Uh, when they got promoted, I remember Lucas Piazon scoring and then Brighton scored two goals in around two minutes. We were really unlucky to come out with no points that day and not great recent memories of facing Brighton at Craven Cottage. But fingers crossed, Claudio and the boys uh, can do the business. There were some positives to take out of that Spurs game. We did battle well and I don't, still don't believe that we deserve to lose, even though that Spurs had lots of the play in the second half and Winks had way too much influence over the game. Really, it came down to a few individual errors in the end, and that's what we need to cut out, I think, if Fulham are to start picking up some points. Uh, just to say this season, Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks for exclusive specials and promotions. Uh, do head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. And also, uh, just a quick call to action about the Fulhamish WhatsApp group. I mentioned this in the last podcast. Uh, If you want uh, Fulhamish reaction and also the breaking 
FFC News. Make sure you sign up to our new WhatsApp channel. Go on your phone, head to our Twitter or our Instagram, hit the links in the bio uh, to our WhatsApp. You send a message, we send one back, and then you're in the WhatsApp channel uh, and we'll give you updates uh, ahead of the game. We'll give you some reaction after the game and there's also match day updates as well and we'll give you WhatsApps when there's new podcasts out. We don't look to spam you. We just send you messages as and when we think is necessary. Uh, We've got hundreds and hundreds joining up to the WhatsApp at the moment and all the feedback so far seems to be really good. So please do give the WhatsApp a join. And if you join by Thursday, uh, the 31st of January, uh, you'll be in the draw to win a copy of FIFA 19 on the PS4 as well, just to give you an extra incentive to join the group. Anyway, I've waffled on too long already. Uh, so let's speak to AD from Albion Raw, which is a Brighton Hove Albion radio show, which goes out uh, every Saturday. If you've got any Brighton uh supporting friends or family down on the south coast uh, if they don't know about it already to point them in their direction uh, i started off by asking ad what his opinion of brighton's season has been so far it's been okay it's been uh, small increments of improvement from last year it's been a case of um, trying to be better than than we were um we didn't performed that great on the, on the road last year and we've been a little bit better this year but still not brilliant but we're in a better position this year than we were last year um there's been there's been some investment although um people don't come to brighton for the money uh but i mean chris hewton's a very very wise manager he has brought in some some very very talented players but he don't he won't just throw them in straight away he'll he'll put them in and take them out and, and get them used to the environment. You know, it's not easy for some of these players coming to, to a new country, to a new club with a different language and different food, etc. just to settle in straight away. And um, I think a lot of people, when you see a price tag and, and, and record signings and things like that, people expect them to like, be ready to go straight away. But that's not always going to be the case. And Chris knows that. And um, he's been very, very, very clever with that. So, um we're, look, we're looking better off than we, than we were last season, but it's uh, we're still looking down. It seems, looking at your fixture list so far this season, that you will go on a little sequence of wins, then you'll go on a little sequence of losses, sometimes even a little sequence of draws. They're all little pockets of the season put together. There never seems to be a sequence where it's like win, loss, draw, win, loss, draw. You seem to just have these pockets of form in all sides of it. Uh, you're two most recent classic mid table form yeah exactly well your two recent games have been two losses therefore are you due a little bit of a change in fortune on uh, on Tuesday uh, you know what the last two games we've been uh, in league games we've been very unfortunate to actually lose and if you look about against who they're against um, we, we pushed Liverpool to the wire and we took Man United to the wire and um despite the, the the editing on match of the day showing it to be a very, very one-sided affair. Let me tell you, those games are not one-sided at all. Mm. Um, and we felt uh, that we could have probably got something out of both of those games. So, And, and those are the, the two informed sides, apart from Man City as well. They're the informed sides in, in this division at the moment. So we feel that, you know, we 
against the the top six sides, we're actually improving. We're giving them a game. I mean, Liverpool got lucky with a one nil win with a moody penalty yeah. from from um, players who like falling over. And funny enough, that big strong man Paul Pogba, he's a big strong man, isn't he? <laughs> he doesn't fall over. And that was another uh, another penalty. But you know, we're you know, with with teams in this league, you look at the mini leagues. Um, you know, you know, you get any points you can get against the top six is a bonus. Yeah. Um, but you, you you've got to be looking at getting points against um, your your so called rivals in your own little mini league. Yeah, completely. Tell us about Saturday's game. Uh, lots of Premier League clubs fell victim to an FA Cup shock. You guys weren't one of them. It didn't look like the game of the weekend, uh, in all honesty. I didn't see too much of it. Was it was it as boring as it sounded? It was uh, absolutely horrible. Um, <laughs> it was... It was, one, it was really bizarre. It was one of those ones where we're so not... We're so used to, like, maybe sitting back and counter-attacking in, in, in the league at the moment. We're not used to having that much possession. Um, West Brom didn't exactly come with any real ambition um, and they made a lot of changes. Um, we made changes, but there wasn't uh, there wasn't anyone on our team who hadn't made at least three league appearances this season. Um, so it was a strong side we put out, but if we just... It was very much like watching Arsenal on Friday night. They, they were so busy trying to score the perfect goal. They just they, were, they forgot that sometimes you, if you shoot, you might score. Yeah. Um, and it was like that. We, we there was a lot. There's a lot of effort. There's a lot of lot, lot of energy, but no real idea of um, of taking the game beyond West Brom. And and they 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 were very happy. I think they were happy with the draw. Uh, before the game, yes, uh, and, and take us back to the Hawthorns and maybe get something up there. But it was, uh, yeah. I mean, we had chances. Um, you know, players who might not necessarily be playing every week in, week out in, in in the Premier League at the moment were given an opportunity. Didn't really cover themselves in glory, but you know, there there was there was certainly enough on the pitch to win the game. We we're certainly the dumb in the game but it just it was just one of those days we just knew it wasn't going to happen so tell me about Brighton's side and Brighton's style it seems like you have a very set way of playing and, and as a Fulham fan this season I think we've been a bit frustrated that we lack an identity and, so, and teams don't exactly know what Fulham are all about but I don't think anyone can really say that about Brighton it's a 4-5-1 it's solid it's lots of the players that you used to come up to the Premier League is still a very key yeah. part of this team with uh, Murray and, and the new lad Logadier up front trying to bag you the goals. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, uh, Logadier is uh, an enigma. It's taken him a little bit of time to get going. Um, you know what supporters are like. They were looking for uh, a boo boy, someone um, to get their teeth into, as he were. And it, it seems that, that he, he was the one that... Uh, guess what? If you put a square peg in a square hole, that's what can happen. Uh, you, 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 he's had a run of games. Uh, he's been influential in games. Um, probably still not scoring uh, as many goals as, as we'd like. Um, but you know, he's been getting assists and he's been been an absolute nuisance. Um, the one we're really excited about is uh, Florin Andoni. Yeah. Um, which is a guy we. Um, bid seventeen half million quid for last season, um, and for whatever reason the transfer never really came off. 
uh, and then Deportivo got relegated, and he had a clause in his contract which bent, basically meant we could get him for five million, which is which is a steal at, the, uh, at this uh, in anyone's money at this year yes. uh, in the current climate. So it's um, he's one that we're excited about, I mean, and he's he's the heir apparent to Glenn, but uh, Glenn is Glenn. Uh, he's he's a nuisance. He's he gives uh, the stats show that way more fouls than any other player um, in, in, in the league this year, which is absolutely ridiculous. It, it, the amount of fouls that, that on him that don't get given, it, mm. it's just frustrating. It's probably the same with, uh, with Mitrovic, who's another player we actually tried to sign last as well, um, before he, before, and uh, Rafa wouldn't let him go to another team in the same league, which is how he ended up at Fulham last year. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's a nuisance. He's on a bit of a barren spell at the moment, but I'm hopeful that that will end. So talk us through uh, David Button. He's been playing in goal for you for the last few games, uh, while Matt Ryan has been at the uh, at the Asian Cup. We're not sure if yeah. if Matt's going to be returning for Tuesday's game because I saw Australia got knocked out by the UAE in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Uh, what have you made of David Button? He was definitely a player that divided opinion at Fulham. <laughs> Um, when when we signed him, he divided opinion then as well. Especially when we got Jason Steele as well, and uh, who, who Sunderland supporters were very very down on. But we've got arguably the best goalkeeper in the country uh, in Ben Roberts, um, and every goalkeeper that's come come through uh, has improved. And yeah. uh, he uh, Button had he had a couple of shaky moments against uh, against Southampton in the League Cup earlier in the season. Um, we knew that Matt was going to be going away and it was going to be between Steele and Button to, to see who was going to get the um, the nod uh, when, when Matt was away. Uh, you know, he's come in and he's been great. Um, he's a goalkeeper I really like. But, uh, I mean, Matt doesn't tend to come for crosses. I tend to like goalkeepers that come for crosses, but that's my own personal opinion. But um, he's not let us down. I mean, he's, we've had two penalties in the last two games. He's been near, nearly saved both of them. Um, I suspect Matty Ryan will be back between the sticks on Tuesday. And looking at Fulham from a Brighton perspective, mm. your philosophy coming into this league was very much to trust the players that got you promoted. And and I spoke to uh, a Burnley podcast about this as well. And obviously that's not the way that Fulham have gone about things this season. It's been very well documented. What have your feelings been watching Fulham as a side that's successfully established yourself in this league? Do you think that Fulham were very naive in the way that they approached uh, coming up to the Premier League this season as a Brighton fan? From a, from a Brighton point of view, and we, we spoke to you guys uh, when we played you at the Amex earlier in the season. Um, I, I thought you had enough in that team to be OK. I thought the signings looked look decent um, but yeah I mean I, I we've heard that there's been a little bit of dissension in the ranks about the, those players not being given the opportunity and I, I was saying about uh, Chris Hewton earlier about the fact that he, he brings players in takes them out and slowly beds them in but he gave uh, the team that got promoted every opportunity to prove they were good enough to play at this level um, and you know the, you, you were a decent team in the in the championship. Um, you know it was you winning more than you're losing. You were scoring goals for fun. You're entertaining to watch. Um, and you know it would have probably been nice for for those players to be given an opportunity. But you know when you're paying thirty five million quid for someone like Sarah, you, you've got to play him, right? Yeah. So um, 
you know, Sherlock is a player which I've always, who I've always appreciated, and he scored one of the goals of the season the other week. Was it that was at Burnley, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Um, which was a beautiful goal. Uh, it, but I mean, I mean, Fulham is, is, as far as we're concerned, it's a club that's uh, deeply entrenched Albion folklore. To be honest, uh, there was a, a march years ago when we were both in the fourth division uh, when we were trying to save the club. Um, and, and Fulham supporters were, were very, very um, vocal, very helpful in, in in our battle to save the club, and it's something which we've always always appreciated, and uh, and that will long may that continue. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking at the, you this year, it's been a bit of a struggle. Johanovic um, probably maybe should have given those players a, bit, a little bit more for opportunity. There's maybe a possibly a bit more work in training on on the defensive side of the game. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure if you're going to get out of it, but um, if you go down, you go down with, with the parachute money, get back up again, which is exactly what Burnley did. Uh, you've just got to be like, keep the faith with uh, what we've got. I mean, I think if we did go down, which uh, I guess we probably will at some point in, in the future, um, we would keep faith in, in the manager. But it's all about stability, I think. Are you, are you worried that you could get dragged into it? I don't think Fulham are catching you, but if we if we won on Tuesday and we'd be only nine points behind you, Cardiff are mm. currently only seven. If you go on too much of a bad run over these next upcoming games, it seems unlikely, but you're, you're definitely not completely safe on the points tally that you have. No, no. I mean, like, like I said earlier, I mean, we're, we're still looking down rather than up. Um, I think our home form is always going to be key. Um, after you, we've got Watford coming on Saturday, um, and then we've got Burnley at home after that. On paper, you would say are winnable games, but then, I mean, Fulham will be looking at us coming to the cottage on on Tuesday and thinking that's a game that you you, you could be targeting at getting points, and because I mean we're not that that great on the road. So, uh, but that said, our record at Craven Cottage is pretty good. Um, yeah. We've won the last, what, the last three, I think it is. Well, I definitely um, remember you winning the season that you went up because that was a brilliant game. I remember Lucas Piazon scoring an equaliser and uh, and then you guys won it late on. It was a, it was a fantastic match. Oh, wasn't that the game where we scored two goals in two minutes? Yes. Lewis uh, scored, yeah, I remember. That was, yeah, that was a good one. And there, there was uh, one of the games early in the season, the season before that as well, which was... Which is always real. I mean, everyone loves going to Fulham. Everyone absolutely loves it. You're too nice. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> everyone just likes a day out. In fact, you probably picked one of the worst times to uh, to come to Craven Cottage on a on a Tuesday night in January. I think everyone wants that one probably but, late April on a Saturday, and they can uh, they can really get the most out of the day. Uh, so let's talk. We came up. We came up to you. I remember the first time we'd been up there for a very long time, and it was. That was the 28th of December, midweek, uh, when Nathan Jones was caretaker manager, and, and we won that one as well. It was uh, that was absolutely freezing. Let's talk about the game earlier in the season. We see it as a massive, massive turning point for us. We went two 0 into the lead, and and just kind of everything was going our way, and it, it all felt like hunky dory in terms of Fulham. We were still buoyant about the signings. And then you got it back to 2-2 pretty quickly. Mitrovic gave away kind of that inexplicable penalty. And mm. for us, ever since, we don't feel like we've fully 
recovered. What what was your opinion of the game as a Brighton fan? Because it probably wasn't quite so poignant in your season, but certainly for us as Fulham fans, we see it as a moment where the tide shifted and, and some confidence got sapped out of this team of players. Um, from our point of view, there were certainly moments in that game where where things didn't go that did change for us. Because I mean. Um, You've probably forgotten, but we actually missed a penalty in that game, which would have put us 1-0 up. Uh, and then Pascal Gross went off injured and he didn't come back for another uh, two or three months, uh, which which was a big miss for us. I mean, I think if we get our noses in, in, in front of home, generally we go on to win the game. Yeah. It's, it's the rule of thumb. So, But, you know, I mean, you know, Fulham, you, you were decent that day. It was a boiling hot day. I remember it well. <laughs> Um, certainly some good moments from yourself. I mean, from our point of view, I mean, and in retrospect, it, it's, it was probably still two points dropped in our opinion, mm-hmm. uh, despite us coming back and Glenn scoring twice. Um, you know, that missed penalty was, 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 a, was a big one in our season and that actually took Pascal off the penalty duties as well. So, With Fulham approaching this on Tuesday, Brighton have traditionally not had a great away form. What would be the best way for Fulham to try and approach this game at Brighton? What is the style of play that you'd be worried about if Fulham adopted it on Tuesday and would generally open up Brighton from, from your position as a, as a Seagulls fan? I mean, we've got... Uh, our our defence are, are, are pretty solid. Uh, Shane Duffy and Lewis Dunk are arguably the best pairing in, in the league. Our full-backs are possibly gettable um, I mean Mon- Martin Montoya despite the fact he's played in the Champions League final for Barcelona um, he's not exactly set our pulses racing uh, and he, he is how interesting because we were linked we nearly signed him yeah he, he's pr- he is, he's not he, he's possibly a weak link um, our, our main concern at the moment is uh, I've mentioned a lot actually. Pascal last year he was he was the assist king. He was uh, responsible for most of our, our, our goals last year. Um, this year he's playing in a slightly different role. Um, he, he got injured and he, he's slowly coming back into form at the moment. Um, he scored his first goal on the road for us um, at Old Trafford uh, last year. All his goals prior to that had come at the Amex. Um, but two of the three, four, three goals we've conceded in the last two games have been down to his errors. But um, if, you, if, if you're looking at putting crosses in the box and that's, that's meat and potatoes for Duncan Duffy, uh, they're just, my God, I mean, Duffy will head away a fee at 500 for you. I mean, he, and, and Lewis is like, uh, you know, he's, he's gone, he's just got his first England cap and um, he's a, he's a ball-playing centre-back, left-footed one at that, which uh, are very few and far between in this country. Right, finally, AD, can you just uh, tell me how you think the game's going to go on Tuesday uh, and what your score prediction is? Um, I can see if, if you... A lot of effort from, from Fulham. Uh, I can see... You're trying to load the box and trying to get Mitrovic into the game. Um, if you do that, then Duncan Duffy will just like like a take over, uh, and then I can see us maybe getting a goal on the counter. Uh, like our waveform isn't great, but um, our record at Craven Cottage is good. Won the last three. Um, like to see us maybe get a one-nil win.
Fair enough. Well, I hope that doesn't come true because uh, Fulham will be even more in the mire uh, if that is the case. But it is probably a fairly safe bet this season, AD. Uh, cheers for uh, cheers for chatting to Fulhamish. No, no problem. Anytime. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon and you're listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Well, thank you to AD from Albion Raw, uh, giving us a bit of an opposition lowdown of the Seagulls ahead of Tuesday's game at Craven Cottage. Uh, without further ado, let's cross over to Ben, George and Nick for the latest edition of the Fulhamish Stats Show. Hello all, welcome to a brand new Fulhamish Stats Show. Since we last spoke, Fulham have finally managed a win. Hooray! Fulham have also managed a clean sheet. Hooray! Yeah. And we've managed to sign a player from a decade ago in Ryan Babel. Great. Yeah. Uh, since we've also spoke, Prince Philip has fi- flipped a car and I've grown a beard. As ever, I'm joined by the imperious George Singer and the mercurial Nick McNee. Hello. As we answer your question with a whole load of opinion and a sprinkle of stats in what is a revamped Fulhamish stat show. So, first off, our question is from George Rossiter, and this is on the topic of Seri. And he says, how does Seri compare in key areas against other vital midfielders from the teams around us? So, for example, we're looking at Philip Billing, uh, John Joe Shelby, Victor Camarasa of Cardiff, Jack Cork of Burnley. And has he been unfairly criticised by our fans throughout the season so far? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I will. Unfairly is a bit harsh, but because I obviously he didn't really show up much on the slab, but he's still a top ten midfielder in terms of creativity. He's averaging over two key passes a game, which is like phenomenal for a team that's pretty much sucked all season. So I think you know every player in the situation we're in can be criticised, but I think if you're going to single out Serie, it's not particularly well fair in this case. Yeah, I think he's he's a creative player, but. With the players he's got around him, without any defensive stability behind him, he's always going to struggle a bit. Um, coming to a new league, I think we'll, we'll come on to it later. You know how moving from a league on to to EPL, it's it's not always not always too easy. I think he's done pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously started the first game against Palace. I thought he was really strong, um, and then kind of dwindled a bit. But I think recently in the midfield two with Chambers, they complement each other quite nicely. So I think compared to some of the other guys, I think the um, his defensive output isn't necessarily as big. Yep. However, from a passing point of view, compared to all the guys you've just mentioned there, no one passes more than him, no one creates more than him. So yep. in his own specific area of passing and creating, he's definitely above a lot of the, uh, the, uh, the other guys on, on the list. So is it a case of our crown jewel, for example, is just being completely crowded out by the rubbish, shall we say, around him? In the fact, he's getting no real support from anyone else other than Chambers in the whole team. He doesn't have a huge amount of um, options going forward. Obviously, Sherla tends to isolate himself into into the channel too much. Mitrovic also found himself isolated, and those changes down the left haven't really helped him at all. Yeah, I think from our side, thinking back to when Berbatov played for us, he just felt he was on a completely different wavelength to the other players, and no one really understood him in the way to get the most out of him. And you can see it with Seri as well, how his, he's great at three balls, his chip three balls, he's done it a few times, but no one's running onto them with the kind of a, you know, an isolated Scherler, a, a Mitrovic who's trying as hard as he can, but just not having a bit of luck at the moment. Yeah. There's only so much he can really do. And what do you think we can do to get a bit more out of him, Nick? Keep playing him. That's really, I mean, we've got to keep playing him 90 minutes. I don't really understand why we took him off at the time we did against Spurs because we completely lost any sense of passing and you know calming down because Spurs just kept coming on to us all the time and you do need a figure like Seri to who's comfortable with the ball at their feet and can you know pass it into the channels for assessing on or 
Cabano, that's it. Yeah. Came on it, I think. I mean, um, one thing that's quite abundant from our play, and especially in the last five minutes when we lost so is that we lost all ability to keep hold of the ball. Yeah, exactly. Which um, is what he does so well. Yeah. Um, he's fantastic in retaining possession and, you know, passing and seeing lanes, as George said, for others. Yeah. But at the same time, look at the team around them. The fullbacks we have are pretty uninspiring. He's playing next to a converted centre-back in midfield, so it's, it is tough for him. Yeah. I mean... I don't, but I just don't think he's the reason why we are in the situation we're in. So do we feel that, on the whole, between all three of us, that the reason we aren't getting the most out of Seri is just because the factors around him are taking away from his extreme talent that he has? Correct. I mean, his set-piece delivery is just phenomenal. Like, I mean, the corners he in the first half were just absolutely perfect. I mean, we scored from, well, Fernando Llorente scored for us. Big bass striker, from, like yeah. it. For a, well, for an own goal because it, it's yeah. set piece delivery. It's it's excellent. Like I haven't seen as good set piece delivery since Christ, Danny Murphy. Mm. So, yeah, not on, not enough quality around him, not enough pace around him, and the change of style of play now, just getting it up to Mitrovic as quick as possible, is not the style of play for for Seri, and that's why he's struggling. So that comes on nicely to our second question. This one's from Matthew Gold. So thank you, Matthew, for for sending in, and he says. What is the average impact statistically that coming from League One to the EPL or Premier League has on the player's performance? Is it good enough to explain subpar performances from some signings or is it more tactical issues coming into it? I think there's a bit of both. I think the style of play from League One to the Premier League isn't too different, not in the same way that the Spanish League to the Premier League is. Um, however, there's a definite difference in quality. Like if you compare some of the main guys who have come out of uh, Ligue 1 this year and have transferred out, so thinking of Malcolm and uh, Fabinho and guys like those, all really big names in Ligue 1 but struggling to really make a difference in, in other leagues and compare to someone like Depay who's gone the other way, really struggling at United but smashing it at Lyon I think, Yeah, Leon. Um, correct. doing really well there, so it's a definite change in quality um, but I think more from a tactical issue, looking back at so I was looking back at who Seri normally played with when he was at uh, he was in France. He'd always yeah. play with two defensive midfielders. He did, yeah. Or you look at Anguissa, who played with one defensive midfielder, and you compare that also with Tom Kearney. Obviously, didn't come from uh, from France, but he prefers to play with two more defensive midfielders. So you've got our three main field midfielders want to play with some defensive. Yeah. And what defensive midfielder did we buy? Well, we didn't. Yeah. We got a like sort of shoehorn Chambers in or. <laughs> bring Cissé in like it yeah. doesn't it's it's those tactical issues and that's why I think it comes down to a lot of the recruitment and we've said it so many times before of having that kind of football input to recruitment having that football brain and having that uh, you know that that identity and style of play you want to have I think all the players we've got in are technically great players I still think Anguisa is a, a wicked player mm. and put him in the right system he'll smash it he's not yeah. a defensive midfielder he's like Dembele if yeah. you had to compare him to any other player if you don't have the right system for them, they're going to suck, and that's what we've seen this year. Okay. Um, so, Nick, what are the main differences between Liga and the Premier League? I don't think there are, uh, as a whole, that many. I mean, you bring up the issue of you know players coming from Liga. I mean, if you look at Johan Kabai, he took like a duck to water in the Premier League and yeah. played brilliantly for several years. So, I don't think it's a matter of you know players players just adapt differently, differently, basically, and um, it's just. I think you have to take these situations into context, like, okay, so why did Anguisa play so well? Let's look. Okay, he played next to Luis Gustavo, who's a Champions League winning player. Started, I think he started the 2013 final. Yep. He's one of the best defensive midfielders of the past 10 years. You've got to kind of look and see 
okay, they're averaging this production, you know, they're pulling up big defensive numbers, why are they doing it? And that's where scouting comes into issue, you know. So has there been a problem with why we haven't realized these players are putting up these numbers? Possibly. We don't really know, per se. So, yeah. I think for, from my point of view, you, you are seeing as many players from League Arm do as well as badly from, from that league. You, you look at like Sukabaya, as you rightly said, you look at Sissoko, who absolutely come over and smashed it for Newcastle, hasn't done so well at Tottenham, but now he's coming into his own again. You look at Alex Lacazette, who's come over and done incredibly well. And there, were, there are a handful of players that obviously played for Newcastle back in those days, but then there is as many failures in League Arm yeah. as there are you know, success stories. And I think it's all about scouting the right players but and getting with, the right that's with system. League. Like you look at Morata at Chelsea now. Yeah. Like he's obviously struggling. He's come from the Spanish league. Every league, is, you're going to have some hits and you're going to have some misses, basically. Yeah. Like you're not going to have a 100% transfer record. It always feels like with Fulham, we get to these, these points in time where we can afford the bigger transfers, but we never get them right. And it's happened countless times. It's happened with Mitroglou. It's happened with Ruiz. It's happened with Anguissa now. It could happen with Seri, but as we discussed, he's way better than that. Why? I mean, all, all of them, you, you can't, you know, paint them with the same brush. They're all different. Uh, you know, they've all got different reasons for that. And the reason for Mitroglou not playing as well is completely different to <coughs> to Anguissa. Um, I think he it, enjoyed the London nightlife too much. That's, that's one part <laughs> of it, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think, I think it, it comes down to the recruitment. Um, it's got to come down to recruitment. It's got to come down to that blend of data and footballing brain. And I think at the moment we've said it multiple times before. I think from a data side, we're doing some, we're doing some good stuff. I mean, I, I'm not too sure of all the data stuff that we're having, and uh, you know, all the players that are coming in, I'm, I'm not quite sure about. But it feels like we're making the right kind of strides in the data area, but mm -hmm. in the football area. We're still severely lacking. Yeah. So I think what we're going to have a look at now is obviously last season was one of the tightest relegation battles that we've seen in recent history. And what I think we're going to look at now is how do our stats this season compare to the teams from last season? And this comes in from Joe Sanson. And he said that he's really, really interested to see how our stats from this season compare to the stats of West Brom, Stoke and Swansea from last season. I think we closely compared to Stoke, which is a bit kind of funny because there's this perception about Stoke in the Premier League as a big tough team when towards the end they were nothing like that at all. Yeah. Um, are people going to compare us to Swansea when Swansea were just totally hopeless um, in attack? I think they're the worst attacking team like in the history of the Premier League yeah. um, just through the advanced metric numbers. Um, but Stoke, like they were easily the worst defensive team last year. They got relegated. And, and what's so what's so similar between us and Stoke? Just like shots conceded, or both? Like the quality of shots that we're conceding, and just the general kind of. I think we allowed the most passes um, within twenty yards of a goal, and so did Stoke last year as well. Fantastic. But obviously, they've got they've got they had a lot different. Uh, they had a lot of older players, like we had the we had Hangelin who was getting on. They have Shawcross who was getting on a bit, and they've still got a lot of jargon then and still now to sort out and I don't think we will be in that situation because we've got players who have got, actually got some sell-on value so mm -hmm. we should be okay yeah I think from a from a defensive point of view we're both well from starting actually if we start with attacking so I think we're from an attacking side we're better than the guys who were struggling last year yeah which is a good sign but we're not you know we're not putting crazy numbers in we're talking like lower mid half of the table okay um, from a defensive point of view fair amount of shots conceded. I think if you compared us to 
last season only Stoke conceded more so Swansea and uh, who are the other one West Brom yep. conceded less shots I think the thing we're really struggling with at the moment is goals per shot conceded so 15% of the shots we concede turn into goals yep. which is a really poor record normally with teams it's like 11-12% yeah. um, and we know obviously Rico's done a, a wonderful job and I think he's probably like probably going to be one of our players of the season like incredibly yeah um so it's not the keeper it's the quality of chances that we're conceding that's that's the real issue here so this comes back to i think we've spoken about this on the stat show numerous times and we've also covered it on the podcast is that fulham give up such a high quality of chance i.e in the 18 yard box in the 12 in, like within 12 yards out and a lot of one-on-one individual errors are given up as well aren't they which albeit sergio rico is probably the, in my opinion the top keeper outside the top six it doesn't give him a lot of chance to redeem himself or Fulham for that matter thoughts um I wouldn't say oh, I kind of I'm gonna have to disagree with you on the Rico best goalkeeper outside the top six point sorry but um, is it because you like Dubrovka no it's I, I think Heaton's probably the best goalkeeper I mean look at Burnley's performance since mm, so, what is it four wins out of four so, yeah yeah um what do you do <laughs> no 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 <laughs> He's done well. Yeah, get rid of Hart and put Eaton in and you start doing better. That's true. Thought it. I mean, Joe Hart is yeah. practically a toxic player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, go on. No, no. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> I, the question was, um, do you agree that we give up too many high-value chances? Oh, I mean, yeah. is, that, is that to our detriment? Um, well, under Slav, we gave up a ridiculous amount of high-quality chances. And has that improved under Ranieri? It's improved a lot, but like I think we've gone from what 18 shots per game conceded to about an av- league average 13, and I think the expected goals per shot, so you'll take the total amount of goals you you uh, concede in the game, divide yep. that by the shots. It's gone down from about 0.18, so 18% chance converting, to about 0.13, which is maybe slightly below league average. Yep. But at the end of the day, is that enough to keep us up? Probably not. Well, it's not, especially with the fact that we've now gone from a lesser number of expected goals for. Mm-hmm. That's dr- exactly. reduced dramatically under uh, Ranieri, hasn't it? So basically, under Slav, we had create loads of chances. We had um, lots of pure goal-scoring chances. Under Ranieri, that's declined a lot, and we don't have many at all Towards anymore. Towards the end with Slav, those chances we started creating dropped off a lot. Yeah, like it just became we're a league average attacking team and the worst defensive team in the history of the league for about <laughs> 75 years. A great so, combination. Yeah. Uh, talking of a great combination, and then how does that compare back to 13-14, which is a question we've got in from Harris. Didn't leave your surname, but we all know who you are, Harris. Um, how does this season compare to the one in 13-14 where literally everything went wrong for Fulham? Even Dan Burnett right back. From Obviously, there's, there's a lot of differences between the years. I think the Premier League's definitely a lot stronger this year. Yeah. I think you compare... Our, the quality in our squad compared to back then and compare Seri to Sidwell I mean they're completely different yep. kind of calibre of players and I think now in the Premier League you get quality all throughout the league whereas yep. a few years ago it was, it was front loaded now you get lower, lower half teams having really high quality players so it's definitely a tougher league mm-hmm. um, however there are so many comparables like um, goals conceded per game last year uh, in 13-14 I think we conceded like 80-ish yeah. Uh, and we're on track to concede the most again. Obviously, Fantastic. things have things have gone down, and you know we might not hit that that numbers if we continue with Claudio. But from a defensive point of view, things are looking just as bad. And back in uh, in uh, those times as well, our attack was okay. It was like mo- lower mid table, so 
lower mid-table attack, terrible defence, mm. it's the same. Obviously, there are so many differences, but there are definitely some comparables between so the two. So, completely seasons. not a winning combo from either season, really. And Nick, yeah. what, are your, what are your thoughts? Well, we didn't spend any money in the pre-season. We, we only bought we, Emeril Vieta, we got on a free transfer. Fantastic signing. We bought Derek Bertang, who I'm fairly sure is playing in Somalia now. <laughs> and um, Mohamedou Diara. And uh, Martin Stecklenburg. Mm. Like, I think those are the only players we bought. Oh, and Scott Parker. How could I forget? <laughs> Our, uh, you know, lucky charm. What about, what about Darren Ben? He did well. Who? Who? I mean, I, mean I, I remember when we signed Scott Parker. I was absolutely buzzing. This guy had just captained England in the Euro 2012 Championships two years before. Player Looked of the year like as well. the yeah, the yeah, player of the year, the best midfielder in the Premier League. What happened? I mean, it's just you know, Rubbish. same thing. Like. Players get old and you know eventually their bodies start breaking mm. down and I think that's just kind of what happened with Parker. Do you think that the ill ill advised scouting and signing of that thirteen fourteen season is comparable to the one in this season? Or do you think that it's just a case of the raw the right players in the wrong systems on account of both managers? I think in thirteen fourteen it was different summer to January. So summer, like Nick said, we weren't spending any money. Alfide was getting rid of the club, it didn't want to invest anything. For better or worse, that's what happened. And in January, we just kind of threw money around without really thinking about it. Obviously, yeah. Mitropoulou is a, a great example of bringing someone in who you need to have an immediate impact and yeah. he's injured and he never gets to play. Um, then then you've got the issue of you bought the players under Rennie Mullenstein and then you immediately get rid of him and bring in McGath, who doesn't like Lewis Holtby. He played pretty well under under Rennie Mullenstein. Okay. So... Uh, the, Again, I guess we're, we're seeing parallels this season of having one particular type of manager bring in the players that they want yeah. and then you bring in a completely different kind of manager who doesn't like those players in here going from Slav to Ranieri who play completely different styles of football. And that's my real concern. When we look at the managers that we were going for after Slav left, the ones we were rumoured for were Wenger, AVB, Ranieri. Like what's QK, the, Sanchez, Flores yeah. and Lopetegui. And what's the what's the common theme of all their managers? They all play football. Yeah. Nice football. Apart from mm. apart from Sanchez Flores. And, and Ranieri. And Ranieri. Yeah. Like there, mm. there, there's no real plan. There's no like, plan. There's no kind of direction. Like not in, in American sports you normally have a general manager who decides, okay, we're gonna you know, I'm gonna hire the man, not not the owner. The owner doesn't hire the coach. Um, and they, you know, there's like it creates a culture from the top down saying that this reports the you know the general manager, the general manager reports to the owner. Here there just seems to be a complete mismatch. Well, this is it, disaster isn't it? off the scene. We're like, getting a exactly lot of like 13, 14. Uh, we're getting a lot of questions into the podcast about how do we feel about a club at the moment, and I think the general consensus is everyone feels completely disenfranchised at the moment. No one feels like there's any culture or direction in the club, and it does reflect on the pitch. And as you say, it's very similar to thirteen fourteen. I think we were we did have a we did have a bit of an identity last year. Granted, the championship is a, a, a very different league to the Premier yeah. League, and you can't always play in the same way. But our identity was our passing football. Our you know we the branding team were the entertainers or whatever. We we had that, and we tried to keep it going through. And now, in the space of getting rid of Slavisa and bringing in a manager who plays completely different style of football, we've lost all identity, yeah. and we've lost though all the fans who have come in who loved our style of football are now being disenfranchised. Obviously, there's tons of different reasons for a different show where yep. why we're getting annoyed with the club, but it's the complete, you know, you, you want that continual identity and style of play going through. Yep. And I think Tony, Tony's got to be kind of accountable for that. 
and I think that's one of the reasons why we're really struggling yeah. to hit the ground running at this time. Agree. And obviously all of those issues will be covered off in the main Fulhamish podcast. But for now, lads, I think that is all we've got time for and a very revamped Fulhamish stat show. Um, from here on out, we'll be doing all of your questions every single time we get in, uh, the stat show up and running. We'll be doing it once a month from here on out and we'll also be doing it in international breaks uh, as we were the first half of this season and in 2018. I just want to thank you all for your questions. Uh, please leave all your comments below or tweet us uh, at Fulhamish Pod or all of us individual handles um, but thank you for all the questions uh, thank you for all the support and we'll see you again in the next one to George and to Nick thank you very much thank you very much boys all good there some interesting views from Ben George and Nick indeed uh, not always positive ones but then again uh, when you look at the stats for Fulham this season there probably is very very little to be positive about hopefully uh, we can prove some of those stats wrong on Tuesday when we get a result against Brighton at the Cottage. It's looking difficult, but if we can get three points, it might just make everything look a tad more rosy going into that Palace game, which we know is going to be difficult, but it's another crucial one for Fulham, as after that, the uh, the easy games really do start to dry up. So enjoy the game on Tuesday, and hopefully Fulham can get that three points that we've all been waiting for. Fulhamish will return on Wednesday evening. Uh, myself and Dom are going to be doing a quick reaction of the Brighton game, then looking ahead to that Crystal Palace game at Selhurst Park, which is already looking pretty massive indeed. So thank you for listening today. Uh, thank you for listening to my solo rants as I've done this show by myself. Hopefully it'll be nice on Wednesday to, uh, to have some company and uh, enjoy the rest of your week and hopefully Fulham can get a result on Tuesday. Come on, you whites. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.